With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. I'm so excited about today's show. This is a second in a series of um, interviews with Dr. Toby Mayer. And today we also have a patient, Jordan Bell, joining us. Um, The topic today is achieving the new face of the transgender patient. In last week's interview, we talked a lot about how the facial feminization procedure came about and how it has evolved over the years and um, and just a continuation up to where we are today with the introduction of the, the, the feminine face of the transgender patient. And so given that, we have Dr. Toby Mayer, who is a pioneer in this procedure, and as I mentioned earlier, Jordan Bell, who has spent many years um, in her own transition to achieving the face that she always felt she should have had and to be the person that she knew all these years that she was meant to be. And so with, with, without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Toby Mayer and Jordan Bell to our guests here today at Aesthetic Insider Radio. Dr. Mayer, welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. Jordan, welcome. I'm just so, so excited about today's show. Hi, Hi. Angela. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Great, Jordan. Uh, great, Dr. Mayer. Well, you know, um, without you know, further, I'm just going to go into Dr. Mayer. If you can, um, you know, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and you know your facial feminization techniques for the transgender patient. Well, this is something that I've done for almost 50 years. Most of the procedures I invented, and uh, transgender patients now can achieve a better result than what they could achieve 50 years ago. The idea is to keep um, wonderful proportions of the face and not just make things smaller and think that now you'll look feminine. So that's always been my goal, is to adjust various elements of a male face into a female face keeping the proportion that was described by da Vinci uh, 600 years ago. That Great. Well, be. thank you. Thank you. And, you know, Jordan, I know, you know, we, we have lots of like, areas to cover today. And um, so I would, you know, before we get going, Jordan, if you would please share with our audience a little bit about yourself and kind of what has led you to, to kind of where you are today. Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Jordan Bell. Um, I am a 35-year-old transgender woman uh, who previously lived in Los Angeles. Uh, I worked in the film industry for about 15 years and just recently relocated to the very hot city of Las Vegas. Um, but I started my transition about eight years ago, and I did uh, hormone replacement for, I would say, about two, three years before I started looking into facial feminization surgery. I felt that there was a point 
where I just knew that the medication itself was no longer going to be enough. And in order to undo some of those secondary male sex characteristics, I needed to actually have a surgeon work on my face. And that's when I started doing research and I found Dr. Mayer. That's great. That's great. And you found, of course, you know, the expert and the pioneer in facial feminization. And I've seen your pictures and you have a beautiful result. So I'm sure you're both Thank very you so pleased with, with the outcome. Um, Jordan, as a young person, how was your life? Um, can you share that with our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was kind of a surprise baby. My parents were married for about 17 years before I came along. Uh, my mom was told that she could never have kids. And uh, one day I suddenly showed up, and <laughs> here I was. And I had a pretty happy childhood. Um, I, I'm an only child, and so it was just lots of love and, and happiness. And uh, I would say that as a kid I was pretty genderless. I didn't really have interest in, like, male or female things. I just I, – I had both. I had the G.I. Joes and I had the Barbies. <laughs> That's interesting, that's interesting. And then at what age did you begin to feel that the person, you know, kind of on the inside didn't quite match the physical person on the outside? Or I guess you, you just used the word genderless growing up, and so there wasn't either or. At what, pay, what point did did it change? I would say around the time that puberty hit, uh, probably around 13, and it's sort of crazy how much... Uh, testosterone can affect the brain and just how hormones really shape who people are. And I just remember when I was 13 years old, I started having panic attacks. I started having anxiety. And I, I would just wonder why am I experiencing all of these awful things? And at the time, it was the late 90s, and it, we just didn't have the awareness of transgender issues that we do now, especially for kids back then. And so I wasn't quite sure what it was at the time until probably several years later where I almost felt this comfort in identifying with the more feminine side of things. Um, it was one of the only things that would really help me to to overcome those anxieties that I was having. Yeah, that's really interesting because, and I'm sure, for you know, parents, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, it's just, you know, terrible teens, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just teenage hormones, you know, they blame everything, but, you know, of course, you know, we, we don't always see what's right in front of us as parents. Um, how, since that time, like from the time you kind of knew that you wanted, oh, no, sorry, before I ask you this question, let me ask you, how, um, at that time, was this something you could share with family or friends, or was this something that was, like, kept top secret? It was something that I definitely kept to myself. Um, I was a very extroverted kid when I was younger. I was in musical theater. I was very A-plus personality. Um, but when I started going through puberty, I almost kind of went back into my shell a little bit. And um, I became very introverted. And I would just spend a lot of time by myself on the computer. And um, these issues were, were very sensitive, especially back then in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I just didn't really know who to talk to at the time. So, yeah, I just I didn't really tell that many people. I had a few very close friends that I kind of a little bit told them here and there, but it wasn't really something that I openly embraced until I would say about eight years ago publicly. And you know, the, 
the How was your the, time you knew you knew from like you wanted to transition to the day you decided to make the change to become like who you were destined to be? How was that for you? Well, I spent many years sort of mulling over and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And honestly, I didn't even know that medical transition was a possibility until I would say in my early 20s. I I remember the first time I saw the timeline of a transgender individual and having seen them gone from somebody that looked completely male to somebody that looked completely female and just like a switch went off in my brain. And it's just all I could ever think about every day. It was just like this static in my head. And my whole 20s were basically spent thinking, do I want to do this? Do I want to take the leap? But, of course, you know, I'm graduating college. I'm going into my career. I'm trying to decide, is is that something that I want to do? And how is this going to affect the rest of my life? Dr. Mayor, is is this something you you see in in, in your transgender patients? So, um, you know, it's interesting. Fifty years ago, I thought I was operating on the third transgender patient in the world. And uh, I quickly realized that there were a lot more transgender patients, but they were in the closet because it wasn't accepted in society, and they all worked, had jobs and careers, and they did not want to jeopardize those. So things have changed a lot, mainly not the number of transgender patients. There are 1.4 million patients, people in the United States who identify as having, uh, being transgender. So the, most, of them, most of my patients say they knew when they were uh, a child. Uh, there's somebody that I've seen recently, and they had twins, that were six years old, and the mother said, oh, yeah, one is definitely transgender. There's just no question. She, he only plays with Barbies. He only wants to put on makeup. He, and this is a more usual story in my experience with my patients, uh, that that's the, the um, evolution. And then I see patients originally, uh, because, as Jordan said, these were, you know, this is a big transition for you to make in your life. And uh, people don't choose it, it chooses them. And I would see a 50-year-old, 55-year-old male who, and I still see patients like that, who now, uh, it's like they've raised their family and their children, and now they want to be the person they've always wanted to be, uh, which is female instead of male. So there's so much that goes into that. You, you know, there's a term that I that I have kind of heard and come across recently, which is gender dysphoria. Um, mm-hmm. Is that just something, just briefly, that um, we can kind of explain to our listeners? Well, gender dysphoria just means um, it's, it's you have a bad feeling about the gender that you are quote, born with and labeled by society. They say, if somebody says you're a male, you look like a male, you have male genitalia, and now, but you don't inside, as Jordan said, when you have feelings that everything in you says, no, this, this is not me, and so you're fighting upstream. And that's what it is. It, um, 
I often have uh, other uh, people in society say to me, you know, it seems like this is really popular now. No, it's not that it's popular. It's that now patients can do something about it without losing their job. It still is a lot to uh, undergo. It's a lot of uh, surgery and uh, just society issues and parents and friends and how they'll react. And so it chooses them. Gender dysphoria just means I, I'm not happy that way. And, and my goal um, is to take someone like Jordan who says everything in me says I'm a, a female. And I'm so happy when I'm a female. And my job is to alleviate pain, and that's what I do. That's why I keep doing it. Amazing. Jordan, um, what was it that helped you make the ultimate decision? You know, like you said earlier, like, you know, you kind of saw a picture in your 20s, and like it was something you never knew you could even do until you saw that, and then you just couldn't stop thinking about it and thinking about, right. you know, what, what could be. So what was it like you just said, okay, today's the day I'm going to, begin my research and I'm going to, I'm just going to do this. So it was 2013. It was February of 2013. And I got a call that my mom was diagnosed with the terminal cancer. And when you get a call like that, uh, a lot of stuff goes through your head and you really start to kind of realize that we only have one life to live and we have to make the best of it and we have to be happy. And it was in that moment that I realized, I have to do this. The static in my head needs to stop. I need to be able to confront my gender dysphoria because I cannot see myself going into my 30s as I was at the time. I was, I was completely depressed. I was introverted. Um, I had a hard time stepping out the front door of my house just because I had no self-confidence because gender dysphoria had torn me down so low. And I knew at that moment that I had to start. And how did you find Dr. Mayo? <laughs> I know you said like you spent some time <laughs> researching, but how lucky were you to find him, and, and how did that happen? Oh, my gosh. It was just it was completely luck. Um, I'm kind of a computer nerd, so I just I love to Google stuff and research, and I ran across a forum post from this gorgeous woman who was a patient of Dr. Mayer's previously, and she just had so much great information to say about him and just transition in general, and I started looking into all different facial feminization procedures and everything, and I actually spent a whole year consulting with other surgeons. I, I had consultations all over the world, and eventually I went back to Dr. Mayer, and he said he is the only person that really knows what he is doing. I mean, just his aesthetic and just the way that he approaches it, using da Vinci's divine proportions, and it just I just knew that Dr. Mayer was the absolute perfect fit for what I wanted to accomplish in my transition. You know, we're about halfway through the show, and I, I would like to kind of focus a little bit on you know, some of the uh, procedures. And so, you know, Dr. Mayer, in, in terms of when Jordan came to you, um, and I know every patient is different, um, but what was it with Jordan that were the most important facial feminine procedures um, that would help her become the beautiful woman that she is today? Well, and first, so I don't forget it, you know, I do um, other, my, uh, because I have invented a lot of, facial feminization procedures, 
I have, my practice is mainly that today, but I still do rhinoplasty, facelifts, forehead lifts on other patients. When I get done doing them, they say, oh, thank you, Dr. Mayer. Um, I, I feel so much better about myself. Uh, I don't have a big hump in my nose. My nose looks natural and blah, blah, blah. And that's, I, I'm appreciative of that. The difference is when I do a transgender patient and they see what they look like just a week later, tears flow are flowing out like you've released the floodwaters because mm -hmm. it has totally changed their life and made them the person they dreamed of being. And it's not perfection, but it's as close as I can make them look more beautiful, uh, more feminine, and in some cases more youthful. But it, the impact on them, and I consider it a, just a, an honor that I'm, I'm so grateful for being able to do this. That's why I keep practicing because, you know, these, these patients, it, it, it's the final piece for them and uh, it's beyond happiness. Uh, anyway, the specific procedures, when Jordan came to see me, she had, um, you know, like a lot of male patients, uh, even though she'd been on hormones, you don't uh, regrow. If a male is castrated before puberty, they don't have any baldness. So eunuchs are not bald. So if the patient is on hormones and has a full head of hair, it may just be a very high hairline that we want to lower and at the same time give them female brows so they can have beautiful female type eyes and remove the orbital bone uh, above the eyebrows. And very often surgeons take off the bone and put it back on and it's not necessary and some of those patients end up with it like a dent in their forehead. I've never had to do that. But that some patients just need advancement of their hairline because they don't have big recessions. Female uh, hairlines are more often an upside-down C, but not like a chimpanzee. So it's not that kind of a hairline, but it's rather than the usual male uh, pattern with recessions. So normally what I do, if they have enough hair there, is advance their hairline with or without a few grafts in the recessions. With Jordan, her recessions were deep and her hairline was high and I told her if I use a tissue expander, which is a glorified balloon, which uh, we uh, pioneered in head and neck surgery uh, probably 35 years ago, or four, actually it's probably 45 now, um, it, we can advance the hairline to wherever I want it. So if somebody says, oh, I want my hairline down an inch and a half, normally most patients, I can't advance it. They're not flexible. Their scalp isn't. So with Jordan, we're able to do that with a tissue expander. Other patients that have pretty much all the frontal hair gone, I do a Mayer flap procedure. And I've done several thousands of those that we invented probably, that was close to 50 years ago. And the hair grows through the line so they don't have to wear 
their hair styled to hide a scar line. There should be no scar line. The hair should grow through the scar. Other things that Jordan uh, needed was a chin reduction. Some people need cheeks. Some people need a lip lift with fat augmentation of their lips. Uh, very often, I invented a procedure for their voice, which is a big piece because if someone has a feminine face now, but they still sound like me, uh, that there's a, a, <laughs> an abruptness where people look at them like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on there? So I told patients the goal of the surgery that I do for voices uh, which is 90% works but has no complications, that uh, is people say, thank you, ma'am, instead of thank you, sir. So that's another big one. I shaved the Adam's apple. I reduced the chin size. So there are multiple procedures, not an easy thing. If patients only need three of those, then it's much more simple than someone that, uh, you know, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and now we're trying to make uh, this patient have a female face. Jordan, Jordan had a, small, a smaller skull, which is always helpful. But still, it's not just making things smaller. We, I don't whack off the angle of the mandible because I think that makes patients look like they have a light bulb head. It makes the upper two-thirds of their head look gigantic when you remove that. And if you look at Angelina Jolie, she has very strong... Uh, jawbone there. She, shaving it doesn't do anything. does not make someone more feminine, in my opinion. Now, Jordan, I understand that you had the tracheal shaving procedure, but you um, did, did not do the voice modification, and you have a very, a very sweet, soft, feminine voice. Um, was your voice like that naturally, or, it was, or how, how was that for you? Thank you so much. Um, I I did have a trachea shave because I had a very prominent Adam's apple, but my vocal cords I did not modify. Um, my voice currently was just all done through through vocal training. And is is that kind of as, like you said you were a uh, musical theater child, and so you had some you know acting abilities, I guess, and and so that I think would probably help you. Would other patients be able to change their voice in that way? I guess that's a question for you, Dr. Mayo. No. No, not, it's, I, I tell patients, why don't let anybody talk you into any surgery if you're able to do it without surgery, like voice. If you can do voice training and you can sound female, great. That's, don't have surgery because there's no reason for it. Some patients, they can get there but they have to put in so much effort that then they want their voice done. But patients like Jordan, some, I'll have patients come to me and they say, oh, I want to get my voice done. I say, no, you, know, you don't need your voice done. I won't do it because you sound female. You're, you're being too critical about the voice. You are, not, are you misgendered on the phone? Do, the, do people say thank you, sir, on the phone? No. Well, they don't have the, you know, ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I never even think about that. That yeah, it's like thank you, sir. And it's like okay, yeah, I guess maybe I should think about either taking voice lessons or having a uh, a, a voice modification it's, procedure. It's not an easy voice training. Is not an easy fix. I have people that have spent 
years trying to do it that way, and I tell them, if you're able to do it, great, but if after years you still aren't doing it, you have to decide, do I want to have surgery to do it um, or not? So, you know, I always put it back on the patient. Once my job uh, with Jordan, it was easy because she's smart and she's not susceptible to baloney. Um, misinformation. Um, she she understood everything, so that those are great patients for me because they already get it. I don't. Yeah, I don't she have did to her do homework. It. I mean, that's right. That's what you want patients to do, so they have a safe experience. Right. To do their and homework. Give, and I tell patients, I have them bring me pictures of noses that they like. If it's if what they want is is to me would make them look funky or odd, I won't do it. I say, go to somebody else, they'll be happy to do it. I won't. But when people have realistic expectations, I want to know, like, what kind of nose do you like? How upturned do you like the nose? Because normal, there's a huge variation. And when patients are like Jordan, and they know what they like, then it's much, uh, I can more easily satisfy their goals. Because I'm happy when I make them happy, I don't tell them, oh, you need this nose, you need this thing done. I say, here's the advantage. Fortunately, there are very few disadvantages that go with anything. An occasional rare infection, maybe with an implant. Uh, I caution them about things, as I said before, about angle of the jaw surgery, and I tell them, don't have people put fat in your face. That's very popular now. It sounds like it's a little tiny thing. Oh, it's permanent. That's the good news. Yeah, the bad news is it's permanent, and you can't reverse it. Easy to go in, and you can't just suck it out. So when fat is put in, there are patients I have to do major surgery, like a facelift, just to get the fat out, and then I can't get it all out. And you have lumps and bumps, so implants, for example, are symmetrical. You've got a rare chance of an infection. You take it out, put it back in three months later. But that's that's a rare thing. If you do fat, the, the lucky patients tell me, oh, yeah, the doctor did fat on my cheeks, and uh, it all went away in six weeks. And I say, oh, you're one of the lucky ones. The only place I inject fat, which I've done for 50 years, is concentrated fat, into the lips, and not not Meg Ryan lips. Sorry, Meg Ryan, uh, but you know you want to have natural full lips, but not overdone. I don't know. I don't like anything overdone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Jordan, I have we have about uh, three minutes left on the show, and I have a couple more questions. And, and and Jordan, one of the things I did want to kind of jump into a little bit was, you know, the difference between social transitioning and medical transitioning. Um, can you explain that? Yeah, of course. Um, transgender people come in all different types. Uh, some people believe that in order to have a successful transition, you need to take hormone replacement you know, in the form of estrogen. Um, but other people believe that you can just transition without having to take anything or get any surgery, and it's more of an identity thing. So for people that just socially transition, it's more of a, a presentation, and they adopt the pronouns. 
uh, but people that medically transition, they're, they're the ones that go to an endocrinologist and they get hormone replacement and they see people like Dr. Mayer. Okay, okay, well, that makes sense. And, and Dr. Mayer, you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously you've been doing this for over 50 years and, you, and now, you know, because it is becoming more socially accepted um, that you have seen a significant increase. In fact, your practice now is... is very much a lot of the facial feminization for the transgender community. Um, are there any other reasons why it's become, you know, just more uh, more popular? No, I don't. I don't think it's more popular because it's such a difficult road to go down. That I just think a lot of in the past, what happened to patients who did not have, they couldn't have surgery because uh, they were in the closet. And so what happened to them? They, they had gender dysphoria their entire life. Or they would cross-dress, for example, on, on weekends, and they would go to socially with other like uh, patients with gender dysphoria, and they would hang out together where they felt safe normal. They could be who they were inside. And and that really is the goal. So I don't think, um, I actually don't think the numbers are greater. I just think it's easier to do, um, as Jordan and said. And more acceptable. And, yeah, it's, it's more acceptable and you don't get fired. In the past, you know, I remember, <laughs> keep your job I remember probably, <laughs> yeah. I remember 40 years ago when I probably did, uh, I did two airline pilots, and I, I was surprised that they were able to still fly with that kind of transition. So it depends on, on the work, you know. I do a lot of patients that have uh, Starbucks insurance and uh, companies like that that cover transgender surgery as it should be because, once again, you know, it's like if I said it's, it's sort of like workers in the field, you know, and they're not going to get uh, Americans to go pick fruit in the field. And uh, patients would not go down this road unless they, uh, it was an overwhelming dysphoria within. So, you know, more hats off to the peak, the insurance companies who realize this, and you make great employees when you do that, you know. You, you do have a lot of loyalty then from those uh, patients who very often are quite educated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, Jordan, in retrospect, if you could have started your transition at a younger age, would you have done that? You know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I think a lot of transgender people would say, yes, I would have liked to have started at a very young age so that I wouldn't have to experience the damage done to my body by testosterone. But at the same time, I feel that the experiences that I had as a person through all of those years shaped who I am today. And that's something that I wouldn't take back. So, you know, all things considered, I'm pretty happy with how things turned out. That's great. That's great. And where are you in your life now, and what's next for you? I am continuing to work in technology. Um, I am currently engaged to my wonderful fiance, um, and we are getting married next year. And I am super excited, and I'm very much looking forward to my future. 
That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, you know, both of you, this has been such a, a great experience for me. I mean, I've loved having you both on the show. And, you know, and I think, Jordan, you're just a total inspiration for for other people looking to go through, you know, any kind of transgender transformation. Um, it's wonderful. And Dr. Mayer, of course, without you, none of this would be possible. So thank you, both of you, for being on the show. Thank you so much, Angela. Absolutely. And then for those listeners out there that would like to get in touch with, with Dr. Mayer to learn more about his, you know, surgical techniques, um, you can visit www.drtobymayer.com or call the practice at 424-245-4156. And again, both of you, thank you so much for being on the Aesthetic Insider Radio. Thanks, Angela. Right, thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.